I want to start this morning with a question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? That's the really important question. That's the question of the hour, at least this hour. Who is the Holy Spirit? And it is my belief that if you ask 20 random people this question, who is the Holy Spirit, maybe one of two things might happen. All 20 of those people will give you 20 different answers, or you might get 20 people, those 20 people that say the same exact reply, which is, I don't have any idea. And so some churches, I saw a video online or the Alpha Course that were taking some of their promotional material, they asked a bunch of random people on the street, who is the Holy Spirit? And loads and loads of people said, I simply don't know. And it's true that even among people who grew up in church or who are currently in church, if you ask them this question, you might get a vast array of answers. And that's simply because there can be a great deal of confusion surrounding the subject of the Holy Spirit. And because there's loads of confusion surrounding this subject, and because we believe that this is an essential core subject when it comes to Christian faith, we're going to spend the next few weeks in a very important series. I have the privilege this morning of opening a series that we're simply calling Empowered. Now, this series is unique because uh, hundreds of vineyard churches all across the country are engaged in walking through this series uh, together. And so we rarely partner with other churches in our movement to go through a sermon series, but there's something about this as we head toward Pentecost Sunday where we recognize and celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Uh, hundreds of us have decided to take our churches through this helpful, important discourse on the Spirit in a series that we're simply calling Empowered. And through this series, we can together gain some understanding about the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to make it plain so there's no confusion that in the vineyard, we believe in the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. In the vineyard, in this vineyard and in our association of churches, we believe in the power, the person, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, in a room this size, I know that some of you are like, dang, I was starting to like this church. <laughs> I've been telling everybody how normal these people are, and I knew it was just a matter of time before they were going to get weird on me. I had such high hopes for this place. And somebody on the other end of the spectrum is going, well, it's about time. That they, that they took the chains off the Holy Spirit down at that vineyard church. It's about to get crazy in the Holy Ghost. We're going to be slinging oil and handling snakes. <laughs> to both of you, I would say, calm down. <laughs> and just hang on for the next six weeks so maybe you can make a more informed decision about who we are and where we're headed, particularly on this subject. The opinions, the beliefs, and even the interest concerning the Holy Spirit can and often do vary widely. Some of us find the Holy Spirit confusing. Others of us will find the Spirit non-essential. Others of us will find the Spirit spooky. Some of us find it hard to believe, far out there, out of this world. And actually on that last one, you wouldn't be wrong. It's okay to say, 
that the Spirit and the things of the Spirit is out there. In fact, we don't do ourselves any favors when we pretend like it's not. Because after all, the Spirit and the things of the Spirit are wholly divine. They are wholly defined. So suffice it to say, it's kind of out there. And some of us err by insisting that the spiritual life be easily understood by our natural perspectives, and that's simply a wrong and dangerous way to handle the divine. Because in doing so, we fail to understand that this is supernatural. Supernatural. And whenever we come to things of the Spirit, especially subjects like this, we must resist the urge to file down the supernatural into something that is manageable or more manageable for us. We need to resist the urge to file it down or to edit it so that we don't sound as crazy when we have to explain what we believe to somebody else. It's out there. It's supernatural. We also, on the other hand, have to resist the urge to be any weirder than we have to be. I'll say that again. We have to, as Christian people, resist the urge to be weirder than we have to be. That is to say that we don't want to be any weirder than Jesus was. At the same time, we don't want to be any tamer than Jesus was either. Because as one Gary Best put it, we want to be naturally supernatural. We want to be naturally supernatural. We want to have a firm understanding of the supernatural, the things of the spirit, but we also want to have our feet firmly planted on the ground so that this supernatural work and these things of the spirit can do an active work in our life and be accessible to those who we encounter. We want to be naturally supernatural. The Hebrew and Greek words for the Holy Spirit in scripture simply mean breathe. And as sure as breath is vital for life, the Bible shows us how vital the Holy Spirit is to our life. The Holy Spirit is mentioned all throughout Scripture. From cover to cover, you'll find some expression of the Spirit. And one of the helpful ways to understand the role and work of the Spirit is to understand what Christians call the Trinity. And the Trinity is the basic way we understand and explain who God is. To put it a different way, the doctrine of the Trinity is considered to be one of the, the most central affirmations about who God is. The Trinity aptly describes the unity of the Father, the unity of the Son, and the Holy Spirit as three persons in one Godhead. To put it a different way, one God, three persons. Now, if you will insist that this concept make natural sense, you're going to err. If you're going to insist to craft an earthly, human, natural box to put this holy, divine thing in, you're always going to go wrong. One God, three persons. And while the Trinity never appears in Scripture, it is a fitting way to describe this unique and divine trio, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Now, what's true is that most of us are more familiar with God the Father and God the Son than we are with the Holy Spirit. But I would submit to you today and throughout the course of this series that embracing the Holy Spirit is essential for the Christian, and it's essential for the spiritual life. Let me say it again. 
embracing and understanding the role and work of the Spirit is essential if you're going to live the abundant Christian life. There's no version, there's no authentic version of Christian faith, saving faith, that can be divorced from the role and work of the Spirit. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and what? Spirit. Humans can re reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. All to say we come to life spiritually by and through the Holy Spirit and it's hard to get there, impossible to get there. Full life in the Spirit without the Spirit. So to try to live a rich Christian life without the Holy Spirit is impossible. Somebody say impossible. impossible. No matter what you think, no matter what you heard, no matter what you believe, it is simply impossible. And so we're going to take the next six weeks to take a deep dive on this subject. I want to begin this series, though, with an important aspect of the Holy Spirit's role and work. And that is this aspect that helps us understand that the Spirit reveals to us that which is hard to know. The Holy Spirit reveals to us, human creation, that which is hard to know. And this idea, this installment of the series will center around a very important word, and that word is truth. The Spirit reveals to us that which is hard to know. And friends, has it ever been harder to know than in this particular cultural moment what is real, what is true, what is truth? All the important facets of life center around what's true. Whether it be faith and religion, whether it be people and politics, whether it would be love or relationships, morality and ethics, it all centers around what is true and what is truth. And so to me, this is one of my favorite aspects of what the Spirit brings to the Christian, what the Spirit adds to the spiritual life, is to help us locate, understand, grasp, and internalize what is true, the Spirit uh, the Holy Spirit is often referred to in Scripture as the Spirit of Truth, and that's simply what I'm calling this message this morning, the Spirit of Truth, the aspect of the Holy Spirit that reveals to us that which is true. I'm simply calling this message the Spirit of Truth, and that's why I want to begin this series this morning. I want to begin in the passage of Scripture in John chapter 16. Would you meet me there in your Bibles this morning? There are Bibles, by the way, on the edges of your rows. Feel free to grab a hold of those Bibles and use them this morning. Also, feel free to interact with the scriptures through your mobile devices. Uh, we'll also be pr uh, projecting the scriptures up on the screens. We're in John chapter 16 this morning. We're talking about the spirit of truth. And while you find it, let me pray. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place today. We thank you for the worship that has already gone forth today, how our hearts have been primed to welcome the spirit's power and presence. We've asked through song that we might be more aware of your presence, that we might experience the fullness and the glory of your goodness, and let that be true in our hearts, even as we listen to the word today. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Would you come today to make the simple 
things plain, the, the, the complex, complicated things plain? Would you put the good stuff, the important stuff, the essential stuff on a low shelf so that all of us may access it? Lord, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Would you move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your life might shine through? We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. So we're in John chapter 16. I'm going to start at verse 5. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Verse 10, righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth, there it is, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me, all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the spirit will tell you Whatever he receives from me, this is the word of the Lord. Now, this is a really important passage. It's one of my favorites, particularly concerning this subject of the Holy Spirit. It is, if you will, essential reading if you want to understand the role and the work of the Spirit. In this passage, Jesus is comforting his distressed disciples as he prepares them for what's coming. And you might say, well, do you know what's coming? Well, what's coming is Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he will be killed and he will be leaving this earth. He'll be returning to the Father. Now, Jesus said this over and over to his disciples, and they always seem really, really surprised when he says it. I mean, the prophets predicted and pointed to these moments, right? But Jesus is with them, and he's telling this, and they're always really shaken by this news, and this particular time is no different. He's comforting them by helping them understand, helping them get ready for what is to come. He's come. He's lived. He's set an example. He'll die. He'll be resurrected, all like he said he would do. But the disciples is having a problem with this. But Jesus is trying to encourage them by saying, hey, when I go, I'm going to send you the advocate. The advocate here is the Holy Spirit. Other versions say the helper or the counselor, but he's trying to comfort them by saying, when I go away, don't be sad because I'm going to send you the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. So that's what's happening here. And I want to unpack at least three things. There are more. But I want to unpack three important things that will help us to understand the role and work of the Holy Spirit, especially in this particular realm of the Spirit, revealing that which is hard to know, revealing to us what is true. Three things. The first is this, that the Holy Spirit is an indwelling presence. The Holy Spirit is an indwelling presence. Don't ever forget it. This is a great starting point, I believe, for a believer. It's a great refresher for those of you who are already knew this 
or have gotten too cozy with this fact and forgot, this is a great place to start this conversation. To me, this is so cool, but it's also very, very intimidating. I'll talk more about that later. Jesus says to them, I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go, because if I don't, the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus says, don't be sad. Be happy. The disciples don't quite know what to make of this. Their leader is talking about going away. They're always, already kind of upside down on this because, first of all, you're God, you're the Messiah. Real gods don't die, and so they're a little shook by that. Jesus' death in their mind would be a major disruption. It would be a major letdown to them. It would be a major setback to them and the Christian cause. They're, they're nursing all of these issues, and they're utterly confused concerning what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is saying to them, you don't know it yet. And maybe you don't want to know it yet, but you want me to go away. You need me to go away. And they would probably say, no, we don't. And Jesus would say, yes, you do. They would say, no, you don't. He would say again, yes, you do. And here's why. If you love having me situationally here in bodily form, to lead you, to guide you, to counsel you, to instruct you, to protect you, to comfort you. Look, there's only one of me, but when I go away, I will leave you a gift. The advocate, the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit, when I go, not if I go, when I go, I'm gonna leave you something better, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit as an indwelling, eternal power and presence of the living God that's going to be resident in all of you at the same time. If you like having me here in person when you can get me as the crowds pull and tug on me, you're going to love it when I leave because you're going to have the spirit of the living God living in you at the same time. All the believers, everywhere you go, whether you wake, whether you sleep, whether you're happy or whether you're sad, the whole time, living in you. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He says, but you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living where? In you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. That's pretty on the nose, isn't it? Verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? In you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living where? Within you. On the inside of you. Which means that if you have come to faith, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only is your faithful future eternally secure, but you have resident within you, at the moment you believe, the indwelling power and presence of the living God. And guess what? When your kids come to faith, they don't get a tiny miniature version of the Holy Spirit. They get the full, big, powerful Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. That's how this works. That's pretty cool, right? 
But it's also intimidating because as one preacher, uh, one of my favorite preachers, Timothy Keller, put it, you now are hosting the presence of the living God. I want that to just marinate in the room right now. You are, the moment you believed, you are hosting the presence of the living God 24-7. That is both thrilling and frightening all at the same time. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. You're hosting the power and presence of the living God. Now, let me illustrate it to you this way. Imagine you invite a house guest to come and live with you. But you're not inviting this house guest to come and move into your spacious 32-bedroom mansion where you may never see them ever, where their comings and goings might not affect you and your comings and goings might never affect or impact them. No, you've not invited this house guest to live in your mansion with you. You've invited this house guest to come and to move in with you in your tiny 10 by 10 efficiency apartment. You got that picture in your mind? This means that whatever you do will be experienced also by your new house guest. What you smell in that apartment, your house guest will smell. What you listen to in that apartment, your house guest will listen to. What you watch, your new house guest will watch. What you read, you see where I'm going? The company you have will be the company your house guest has. And on down the line, Tim Keller says, when you become a Christian, you subject the indwelling spirit to whatever you are up to. Think about that for 15 seconds. So I got a question. What did you and the Holy Spirit do last night? What did you and the Holy Spirit watch on Netflix last night? I know you had that long conversation on the phone with that fine honey from the gym last night. What did you and her and the Holy Spirit, what y'all talk about last night? All of a sudden you put it that way, preacher. The Holy Spirit is living in you, experiencing what you experience, subject to what you subject yourself to, and all of a sudden this becomes really real. The power and presence of the living God is, is in us. It's experiencing what we experience, what we're doing and what we're living out has an impact on him. But I think the best part is that that new house guest also has an impact on us, that we experience him as well. And this is, to me, one of the best parts about the Christian life the spiritual life, life in the spirit, is that the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling power and presence, the true and living God, can also be experienced by us, the indwelling power and presence. Which brings me to my second point, that is the spirit of truth brings conviction. 
I spent a time talking about the fact that it's an indwelling uh, presence to help you know how near it is, how cozy we've gotten with the Spirit, how proximate it is, so that you might understand that one of the beautiful and essential roles of the Spirit of Truth is that it brings conviction. And I don't know about you, but I don't care for that aspect of this all that much. I like one. I just I want to cry during worship. I want the warm, fuzzy aspects of this. I could do without the conviction, or can I? We can't. This is a really good aspect of the Spirit that doesn't always feel good most of the time. The Spirit of truth brings conviction. Now, notice I didn't say condemnation. That's a whole other thing. We could get it confused. We could get it twisted. But I didn't say condemnation because condemnation is the enemy's work. Scripture tells us that Satan, our worthy opponent, comes to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. To put it a different way, the devil's in the destruction business while God is in the construction business. So the work of condemnation is destructive. That's the work of the enemy. And the enemy loves to make you feel condemned. This ubiquitous feeling of condemnation and shame the enemy just takes this weapon of mass destruction and just blows up your whole life and slimes you with this very nonspecific condemnation, while the spirit, on the other hand, which is in the construction business, brings what? Holy conviction. The indwelling power and presence of, uh, of the living God, the spirit of truth, brings conviction. And if the enemy wants you to feel this ubiquitous feeling of shame and condemnation, the Spirit brings conviction in very specific, very precise ways. So if the enemy just rolls to roll the grenade of condemnation in your life, the Spirit gets a scalpel, gets a laser pointer, and points to the very thing that he intends for us to address in our life, holy conviction. It's usually clear. It's usually specific. And the role in the work of the spirit of truth in our life convicts us by testifying on an ongoing basis to what is good, to what is real, to what is helpful, to what is righteous, to what is holy. Verse 8, and when he comes, the indwelling spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. He continues, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. And so our issue, our problem, is that we won't believe. Or we want to construct lesser, less imposing versions of God and his truth so that life for us is more enjoyable, more manageable, less encumbered by the foul lines of the Christian faith. This is our problem. And for the believer, the Holy Spirit is constantly, almost like your conscience, speaking to you as you go about your daily life. It's not hopping in the driver's seat and snatching the wheel and steering your life. No, 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 no. But he is bringing what? Holy conviction. You sure you want to do that? Uh, 
don't think that's God's best for you. What does the scripture say? Is that the best use of your body? Is that the best use of your time? Pointing back to what's good, pointing back to what's true, pointing back to Jesus and his example. And all of a sudden, if you try to do your life without the Holy Spirit, and some of you have, if you're trying to drown out the voice of the Spirit as he steers you, as he leads you, as he guides you, as he's trying to convict you, as you're living your everyday workaday life, when you try to drown it out with other noises, you end up where? You end up in the ditch. Is some of y'all in the ditch right now? The spirit of truth brings conviction by pointing to Jesus. Verse 10, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now, if you read that wrong, you might misunderstand this. Jesus is talking about conviction. He's talking about judgment. And it sounds so final. But what the spirit of truth is pointing to is what Jesus has done is the work of the cross, is what Jesus has made a way for us so we have other options. We don't have to drive our life into the ditch. We don't have to go through life blindly trying to figure out which way is up, trying to figure out what's true and what's false, what we should and what we shouldn't do, what's holy, what's unholy, what's righteous and what's unrighteous. Christ is the standard. He's made a way. And so as the Spirit points to Christ, he points us to this opportunity we have over and over and over to change course through the convicting power of the Spirit. Have you ever felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Have you felt it today? (laughs) As you're drafting an email or drafting a text and the Spirit said, don't send that. (laughs) Or you're prepping and making plans And you know that those plans are going to be the sort of plans that the tomorrow version of you is going to come to regret. And the spirits say, you sure? The conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is your friend. Like you want that voice to get louder in your life. Like you actively have to turn down other voices in your life so that you might hear the voice of the Spirit. It's kind of like you ever been trying to, you know, focus on your driving and you had to turn the radio down? Something about me, but when I'm trying to parallel park, somehow, some way, I need to turn the music down so I can drive good. I guess the point that I'm making is, like, the, the, the Spirit is not going to yell over all the stuff in your life. Like, this is one of the points that we make when we go through a fast. Like, we're fasting because if you can imagine a room full of radios, we're asking you to turn one by one, turn all the other radios, and over time what's going to happen is the loudest radio is going to be the voice of God so that you can hear clearly. Like, you've got to actively do that work. He's not going to yell over all you have going on. And what I know from my own personal life is that if you ignore this spirit of truth, if you ignore the convicting voice of God over time, it probably won't go away, but it'll just be background noise. 
It'll be indistinct. It'll just be one voice in the parlor of all the choices you have to choose from, including your own voice. The spirit of truth brings conviction. And to the uninitiated, that sounds like it's bad news. That sounds like, oh, that sounds like I'm in trouble. But I told you last week, we are a good news church, and it's good that the Spirit brings conviction. It's good that when you're traveling wrong, the Spirit of truth quickens you, arrests you, redirects you, reroutes you. You want that in your life. You need that in your life. This is the indwelling power, presence of the living God. Third and final thing I see in this text that wraps all of this up is that the Spirit points to truth. Capital T, truth. I don't know about you, but like, I, I need this now more than ever. I think that the stakes of my own personal life have just never been higher. And maybe that's just generally true the older you get. The more responsibilities you accumulate, the more kids you accumulate, the more people that count on you. I don't think the stakes of my life have ever been higher. I got a wife to love well. I got four growing boys to raise responsibly. I got this church all my other responsibilities. How I show up in the world depends on my understanding of what is true. How I interact with the world around me, my politics, how I navigate consequential hot-button issues, how I relate to my friends, my neighbors. It all comes back to what I believe is true. And if I am fuzzy about the truth, then a lot can go wrong. I don't mean to make this too personal, so I pointed, if you are fuzzy about what's real and what's true, a lot can go wrong. A lot. And in this particular cultural moment, that's never been truer. In the age of all sorts of spin and misdirection and all the talking heads on CNN and Fox News, in the age of fake news, deep state conspiracies, growing moral relativism, which says, hey, you do you, I'll do me. If it makes you happy, do it. As long as it's legal in your state, do it. All kinds of identity crisis, not to mention our own voice trying to disciple us toward whatever we want to do. Isn't it true that it's never been harder to know which way is up? What is actually wrong and what's right? We were just, the crucial conversation last week, we were talking about the Christian's relationship to, to recreational drugs and, and marijuana and all this sort of stuff, and we're trying to figure out which way is up. What's actually helpful and what's good? What is sin and what is righteousness? 
Where are the foul lines of life that I might know not to cross them? Who can we trust and who are the wolves? I mean, are are any of these questions common to your thinking these days? Because they're constantly at the forefront of my mind. And if my 41-year-old self is thinking this, I can only imagine what my 14-year-old, my 15-year-old, my my, my 12-year-old is thinking. How my 10-year-old is trying to navigate the vicissitudes of life. If, If I'm thinking this, is there anything we need more than the indwelling power and presence of the living God? Is there anything we need more than the spirit of truth to help us make sense of what is true and what is a lie? I mean, is, is your prayers soaked with this question, Lord? Give me eyes to see what's true. Spirit of truth, would you, would you help me to uncover that which isn't clear to me yet? Now, I don't need to know everything. Now, I want to know everything, but I don't need to know everything. But spirit of truth, that which I need to know in order to show up right, would you show me? That which I I have to know in order to show up well and to be on mission and to serve my family well and to serve my church well and to show up well in my community, Lord, would you show me that? And Jesus essentially promises his, his, his distressed disciples that he would do just that. There is so much, verse 12, that I want to tell you, but, I, but you can't bear it now. You can't handle it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's my favorite verse in the whole passage. He said, I, look, I got a lot, I, look, I don't have time to tell you everything that I need to tell you. As a matter of fact, you can't quite bear it. You're a little fragile right now, nothing personal, but this is just the state of things. You can't bear it. But when I go away, and I'm going away, when I send you the gift, and I am sending you a gift, the spirit of truth, when he comes, will guide you into what? All truth. Now, I love how general that is. It's general, but it's not vague. You know what I'm talking about? It's general in that it is comprehensive. It's all-encompassing. It covers a lot of ground. He will guide you in all truth. That is to say, when you need truth, the spirit of truth will hook you up. a whole lot of stuff that I want to know that I don't need to know. But I've come to discover as I walk with the Lord, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, that as the scripture says, thy word, O Lord, is a what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the picture that the scriptures paint is not a floodlight that lights up the whole path, but the thing that just illuminates my very next step. A lamp unto my feet and a God into my path, which is to say when you need to know, if you want to know, if your ears toward heaven, the spirit of truth will hook you up. You need help with them kids? The spirit of truth will give you what you need when you need it. You got questions and concerns about the growing LGBTQ conversation? 
and where to land on this and how to be compassionate, but to show fidelity to the spirit. The spirit of truth will hook you up. I got trouble in my marriage. I don't know what vocational decisions to make. Should I make a move? Should I not make a move? Should I invest? Should I not invest? Should I? All those things seem deeply unspiritual, and yet the spirit of truth will guide you in what? All things. What you need to know. When you need to know it. Jesus makes us this promise. And I can't think of anything I need more now than the spirit of truth to come and hook me up, straighten me out, to settle the anxiety that rages as I try to figure out my next, to help me sort out matters of faith and morality and ethics and relationships and money and all sorts of things. The spirit of truth will guide us. Am I the only one that needs this? Am I the only one that wants this? Now watch this. And worship team, you can make your way up as we land this plane. I told you earlier that we have this tendency to try to file this down to something more manageable to us. Or we have the tendency to try to keep this thing so up in the clouds that it doesn't do us any earthly good. And I'm super grateful this morning that the role and the work, the power and presence of the Spirit is accessible to us. Not so that we can just cry and do Jesus laps around the church. If you want to run a Jesus lap, go ahead and run one. But I feel like the Spirit is here to direct us and lead us and guide us in the practical matters of our life. To help us show up well and to choose well. That's why we each get the indwelling power and presence of the Spirit. Worship team, you guys can come up, up, please. That's why we each get a deposit of the Spirit. And the Lord knows that we are prone to go our own way, prone to build our own nests, to prone to be preference-driven rather than purpose-driven, and so that indwelling power and presence will always convict us according to what's true and what's real. And on top of all of that, the all-encompassing pointing to truth that the spirit of truth will do will be like our personal GPS system if we embrace it. if we walk in the Spirit, as Paul says, as we live according to the Spirit, as Paul says. And so some of you have come to faith. Good for you. Congratulations. You've got the Holy Spirit resident in your heart, but you haven't really, like, activated the Spirit in your life. And one helpful picture is an old pastor of mine. He, he, he got out a cup. He said, this cup of water is your Christian life. And he got a packet of Alka-Seltzer, you know, the Alka-Seltzer tablets. And he dropped it in the cup of water. It didn't take it out of the package. So imagine this packet of Alka-Seltzer just sitting in the water. And the water's unaffected by it. 
He said, this is how most of us live the spiritual life. The Holy Spirit's there, but we haven't activated it. He said, what you need to do is to take the tablets like out of the packet and then drop it in the water and sit back and watch it go. You ever watched an Alka-Seltzer tablet? It's like, it shouldn't be that entertaining, but it is. Maybe I'm a simple man. <laughs> and it's fizzing and it's popping and it's doing its thing. And that is what we need to do because we have the power and presence of the living God. Access to what's true and what's real and what's good, eager to help. Now, why don't we activate that thing today? Indwelling spirit, convicting us, pointing to Jesus and the righteousness that's already secured for us. That will lead us and guide us to truth concerning all things. Make it be so. And so why don't you stand as we sing this last song? And I love the, 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 the song that we're singing, the bridge of this song. It says, uh, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. And so somebody slipped me a word on the way up here, and they said, listen, I, I love that the prayer of this church has been more, Lord, or come Holy Spirit. But she says she believes that the, the new prayer of this church for the Lord, make us, make us more aware of what you're doing. We can see where you're moving. We can see what you're doing. We can see what you can up, up to. And we can perceive with humble curiosity and a willingness to participate with what you're already doing. Make us more aware. Let that be our prayer. So as we sing this final song, we say, come Holy Spirit. Make us aware. May we be filled with the Spirit. May the Spirit be activated in our life like those little Alka-Seltzer tablets so that we might live our lives on mission.